0: Those who have been with us in recent days will know that we've been preaching and meditating upon the theme of heaven. It is a wonderful subject, and uh, I can tell you that when you pass through what I have just passed through, and I'm still passing through, it makes heaven all the sweeter. And we ought to, as believers, in any case, be heavenly-minded. The Bible teaches us this, not least in Colossians, in that chapter 3, where the apostle tells the people of God that they are to set their affection on things above and not on things on the earth. That's Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2. He begins in the first verse. If ye then be risen with Christ. And the sense of the word if there is since. There's no question. It's not that he's saying if you are, or maybe you're not. He's saying since ye then are risen with Christ. If this is the case, it is the case, then seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection, which could be translated your mind, on things above not on things on the earth so it is really important for believers to be heavenly minded you will have heard it said of such and such a person well he's so heavenly minded that he's of no earthly use well i believe that that is on this side of heaven an impossibility it's impossible to be too heavenly minded And if you are heavenly-minded, that's the only way you're going to be of any earthly use. The Lord wants us to be heavenly-minded. He wants us to think about heaven. He wants us to consider heaven. He wants us to live in the light of the hope of heaven. Now, in Revelation chapter 22, which we read from today, we have not just there, but certainly there, some verses that speak of the blessed experience of heaven. It talks about the people of God who are there and even what they're doing in that place, what their experience is. And it is a blessed experience to be in heaven. Let me just say right off that heaven, like everything else that God has created, has been created for his glory. Heaven is created for the glory of God. And you could say that it is the place where his glory is most fully known and manifested. Therefore, we have to understand that heaven does not, contrary to what many people think, exist primarily for our sakes. The main purpose of heaven is not to make us happy. It is not to give us a selection of pleasures to choose from or just to provide for us an eternity of well being. It will do all of the above. But that's not why God created heaven. That is not why heaven exists. And it's not why He's going to bring heaven to its glorious consummation when Christ returns. Heaven exists for God's own glory. And it's essential that you and I understand this. It's not, if it's not our understanding, then our whole concept of heaven is going to be poisoned by self-interest. We're going to have a very degraded perspective of heaven. We're only going to be interested in heaven for what we hope to get out of it. And that is not consistent with a Christian walk. There was a discussion some time ago on a radio program. And those that were on that program, all well-known people, were asked about their views on heaven. Quite unusually, they all said they believed in heaven. And that's kind of an unusual thing in the day in which we live. They all said they believed in it. And that they expected to go there. But not one of the contributors to that discussion mentioned God. Not one of them. Nothing about God. Nothing about Jesus Christ. That's remarkable. But it tells us how men think, ungodly men. God really is an irrelevance. See, the problem with this idea of heaven that many have is it's just all about what's in it for me. People want to go to heaven because they imagine that it's a place of pleasure and happiness in contrast to the other place. They don't want to go there. But it's not because they have any desire to meet with God or to be with God or to learn more of God. It's all about what they can get out of it. But you see heaven exists for God's glory and God has created all things for his glory. And so in the Bible the words God and heaven are sometimes used interchangeably. Remember the prayer of the prodigal? He said, Father I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. I've sinned against heaven. In other words, I've sinned against God. But God and heaven are synonymous. As well as dishonouring his father, this young man understood that he had sinned against God. When Matthew in his gospel speaks of the kingdom of heaven, he's referring to the kingdom of God. Heaven exists for God and apart from god it has no meaning and no relevance we must never even for one moment think of heaven apart from him now we understand that many of our hymns will reference the fact that loved ones are in heaven and that's a wonderful thought that's a beautiful thought the saints of all ages are there the prophets the martyrs and sometimes we sing about that loved ones are there, our friends that we have known long ago. But that's not the main thing about heaven. I long to see my Saviour first of all, is what one hymn writer said. So we have to never be thinking of heaven apart from the Lord. He has to be at the forefront of our Thinking Heaven is for God and his glory. And this is going to be a, a litmus test for you as to where you really are spiritually. Are you eager to know what you're going to enjoy in heaven? Or are you more concerned about the glory that God will receive from it? If you're not interested in God's glory and that which glorifies God in general, then you're not interested in the reason for which this universe was created. You're not interested in the most important reality that there is. Heaven is all about the glory of God. And it ought to thrill us to consider that God is glorified in heaven eternally. Now, Matthew Henry the great commentator said grace is glory begun And what he meant by that is here on this earth before we ever get to heaven we can have a taste a foretaste of heaven itself see we've been made for the glory of God our lives are to be lived for the glory of God and if heaven itself is for God's glory then any preparation that we make for heaven is also for the glory of God The Lord has put glory in our hearts before we get there if we're saved. We think about all the things that glorify God, and I could deal with those today if I had time. Remember when the Lord was praying in John 17, he predicted his hour of suffering when he would go to the cross. And what did he say? Father, glorify thy name. Glorify thy name. The cross is for the glory of God. You ask the average person, even a Christian, what is the cross all about? It's about the saving of sinners. It is, but that's not the main purpose of the cross. The main purpose of Calvary is the glory of God. Christ died for sinners that glory might be brought to God. He's bringing a multitude to glory in order that God might be glorified in their salvation, in their eternal welfare. Now Calvary was therefore a demonstration of God's glory. We think of Peter then. On the theme of suffering, Christ prayed in anticipation of his suffering, Father, glorify thy name. The Apostle Peter was told by the Lord Jesus that he would glorify God by his death, not by his miracles, not by his preaching. But by his death, John chapter 21, verse 19. The Bible tells us this spake he of his death by which he would glorify God. All things are for God's glory. And it is our high privilege as Christians to begin living the life of heaven, if I could put it that way, here on earth, so that people generally can see heaven in us. Remember how Paul put it to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether you eat, therefore drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Everything is for God's glory. And so every day that you live, in your home, in your workplace, or as you sit and worship with your family, you can show heaven. Grace as Matthew Henry said, is glory begun. And wherever grace is seen in a life, God's glory is seen. And you can say, there is heaven. We can, in a measure, live in heaven before we go there, because it's found in any place where we meet with God. Old Jacob, when he prayed, He said of that place, surely the Lord is in this place. This is none other than the house of God, Bethel. And this is what? The gate of heaven. This is the gate of heaven. This is like heaven in advance. And so here on earth, we can experience heaven on a daily basis. And as we sang just a few minutes ago, where Jesus is, tis heaven there. You can be in a cottage, you can be in a hovel, you can be in a palace, you can be anywhere. If Jesus is there, that's heaven. Now, let's think about the blessings that are experienced in heaven. The Bible says a lot about heaven. I know when I began this, which has turned out to be a series of messages, I didn't necessarily think it was going to go this long, but when I began I reference the fact that the Bible seems to be limited in its information about heaven. It's as if we're, we're brought up to a door and the glass is opaque. It's kind of clouded and we're looking through that door and we can see some shadows in there and we can recognize certain things but not clearly. The Bible talks about that looking through a glass or seeing through a glass darkly but then face to face there's a lot that we don't know there's a lot that is not revealed to us and the bible itself speaks about things that are not seen and not heard nor have entered the heart of man our knowledge of heaven therefore is going to be imperfect no matter how well we know our bibles there's only so much information there where the lord as it were pulls back the curtain but it's still contains enough for us to be licking our lips, as it were, spiritually in anticipation of it. Heaven is a wonderful subject. It's a wonderful topic to consider. What a prospect it is for the believer to know that when all of this is over, he's going to heaven to be with Christ, which is far better Now, someone said that our gracious God, in consideration of our weakness, is pleased to represent to us heaven's happiness under similitudes taken from earthly things. Glorious in the eyes of men, since discoveries of the heavenly glory divested of earthly resemblances would be too bright for our weak eyes and we would but lose ourselves in them. Wherefore now we can but speak as children of these things which the great day will fully discover. So there's a lot that we don't know, but it's important for us, going back to Colossians 3 verses 1 and 2, to understand that Christians ought to be living each and every day with the prospect of heaven on their minds. Very much looking forward to being there in that heavenly land. But sadly in this world we see in the behaviour and the lifestyles of many who profess the Lord's name, anything but what appears to be an anticipation of leaving here and going to heaven. They're so earthbound. The things of this earth mean so much to them. You can't imagine them being happy In the prospect of leaving those things behind now I'm not saying you can't have things to enjoy in this life you may have beautiful ornaments in your home you may have various things that make you happy uh, while you're here on the earth but you can't be so caught up with those things or attached to those things that the loss of them would be devastating to you because you ought to recognize and realize that I'm bound for heaven and I am not staying here. She'll pardon again the reference to my late wife. She has had so many items of clothing and shoes. I've been looking through the closets and cupboards and drawers. It's unbelievable the stuff that she had, and it was all cheap didn't look cheap, she never dressed like she was cheap, but in a good way, she was cheap. She liked to get bargains. And if she saw a nice skirt, I'm having that, I want that. I said, well, you've already got like five black skirts. I know, but I really like this one. So much stuff. Every single piece of stuff that she had is now in our home and she doesn't need it anymore. She'll never use any of it again, ever. All her clothing, all her shoes, all her ornaments, all her jewelry, a lot of which I bought her. She doesn't need it anymore. It would have been a terrible thing if she was so attached to those things that she could hardly bear the thought of leaving them. But that's not how it was for her. She was looking forward to going to heaven. And that's how we should be, not in a morbid way. Not that we're wishing every day I wish somebody would do something to me to cause me to go to heaven right away. No. But we ought to be living with that anticipation that the Lord could come for me today. And it would not be a disappointment. It would not be something that would annoy me because I think of all the things I would still like to be doing here below. Oh, to be with Christ, which is far better. We've talked a lot about home in these messages That's the thing about heaven. It's home. And there's no place like home. Sometimes you've been gone for a while and you come back to the house and you say, Oh, so good to be home. That's the way it is for the believer when he gets to heaven. Heaven is home. That's the real place where we want to be. And so there's an awful lot about heaven that should make the believer live in the rich anticipation of it. There are a lot of attractions about heaven. There are a lot of activities that are mentioned concerning heaven, and we've already noted a few of the things that the glorified people of God do in heaven. But heaven, in a very real sense, and most importantly, is all about Jesus. He is the glory of that place. Revelation 21 verse 23 tells us, And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. All that is done in heaven, and everything about the glory land, has Christ at the center of it. And something that needs to be kept in our minds as we study the theme of heaven is that while there is a sense in which heaven only begins for a Christian when he dies, because it's not till then that he actually goes to heaven. Yet there is a sense, as already mentioned, in which heaven begins for the Christian here on earth. We can be living, in a sense, in heaven here below. We can rejoice that heaven for us has already, in a sense, begun. You think about our present union with Christ. Sometimes people look at verses like Ephesians chapter 2, where it speaks about being buried with Christ, being risen with Christ, being seated with Christ in heavenly places. And folks may look at that and think, well, what does that mean? What is that actually talking about? To be risen with Christ, to be seated with Christ In heavenly places. How could you be seated in heavenly places when you're here on the earth? Well, that's speaking about your station in Christ, your standing in Christ. That's what it means. In other words, if I could put it just in simple terms, when the Bible says that we are risen with Christ and that we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It actually means that we're as sure of heaven as if we were already there. That's what it means. So today, believer, you can rejoice that your seat is reserved there. It's not going to be given away to somebody else. It's not like it is with some airlines where if you don't arrive in time at the gate, they sell your seat to somebody else. That doesn't happen in heaven. There's a place reserved in heaven for you, according to 1 Peter. It's your inheritance. You're as good as in heaven right now, even though you're not there yet. And the Lord's still doing a work on you, and there's a lot of things that have to be chopped off your life. The Lord's fashioning and molding you. But at the same time, your standing as a believer is that you're in Christ. And what a tremendous thought that is, to be in Christ. There's three things, really, that Ephesians chapter 2 teaches. There's the past, and there's the present, and there's the future. He talks about in time past. Ye were without Christ. That's a position of anyone who's not saved. You're without Christ. You're outside of Christ. But then he says in verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh or near by the blood of Christ, So, this is your present position. You were far off, but you're now in Christ. And the ultimate is where he says in Philippians that he's going to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Where are you today? Are you without Christ? Can you say that you're in Christ? Because if you're in Christ... Praise God, one day you're going to be with Christ. And you can live in the anticipation of that. Now, there's a verse that is often misquoted. We're talking here today about the blessed experience of heaven. And some will say, well, now, you can't really know what's going on in heaven or the the joys that are laid up for you. Because doesn't Paul say, and then they'll quote, but they'll actually misquote this verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 9 and 10. You've heard this. Perhaps you've used it yourself. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verses 9 and 10. But as it is written, Old Testament, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Now, if the verse if the whole statement finished there with that period in verse nine, it would be right to say, Nobody's ever seen, nobody's ever heard, it's never entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared. We can't know those things, those things are hidden from us. But look at the next verse. But God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. See that? There, there is a sense in which, though eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard. It hasn't entered into the heart of man. But there is a sense in which God makes those things known to you by his Spirit. So we can know. Because the Spirit of God is in the business of bringing spiritual realities to the Christian's heart. The believer enjoys the privileges of a child of God. And this is the beginning of heaven in your soul. Matthew Henry again Grace is glory begun. You go to heaven, that's just a continuation of something that God started when you were converted. Right here, heaven is begun. If you have the grace of God in your soul this morning, then glory is begun in your heart. And there's a real correlation between what takes place in heaven itself in perfection, and that which takes place with true Christians in this life in imperfection mixed with our frailty mixed with our sin we've sung that haven't we Isaac Watts's words the men of grace have found glory begun below glory begun below see heavenly mindedness is cultivated by us here below And we can live, therefore, in the experience of heaven, in a sense, before we get there. C.H. Spurgeon once wrote, If we don't get to heaven before we die, we shall never get there afterwards. Great statement. You don't have to wait, therefore, Christian, until you get to heaven before engaging in the very same activities as the glorified saints engage in right now before his throne. See, so we believe that the church is one. The whole family, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 15, of whom the whole family is named in heaven and in earth. It's not two families. It's one family. Some of them are in heaven. They're in the church triumphant. Some are on the earth. They're in the church militant. But we're all in the same church. And ultimately, we will all experience the same things in perfection. The saints in heaven, as Top Lady put it, they are more happy, but they're not more secure. The glorified spirits in heaven. The church is one, and so therefore, you don't have to wait Till you get to heaven before engaging in the same things as the glorified saints are engaged in right now. They worship God in perfection. We worship God in our frailty, in our flesh, in imperfection, but Christ makes up the weight. He, as it were, takes the will for the deed. And so our service is viewed just as perfect as that which goes on in heaven. Because it's through Christ that it is offered to the Lord, our worship. Someone said about Richard Sibbs, a Puritan, of this blessed man, let this just praise be given. Heaven was in him before he was in heaven. And the Bible teaches that. Because the believer already has heaven begun in his soul. He has the foretaste of it, an anticipation of it in his experience someone likened it to going out for a meal and he said that we living here on the earth serving the Lord we're enjoying the hors d'oeuvres a sample of the feast that's yet to come which we will enjoy at the marriage supper of the Lamb what is the blessed experience of heaven let me sum it up very quickly How could our present experience replicate the blessed experience of those who are already in heaven? Well, if you think about it, in heaven, the people of God see the Lord. They see the Lord. Look at Revelation 22. We're finally coming to our text. That's a long introduction, isn't it? Revelation 22, verses 3 and 4. And there shall be no more curse. Well, it's obvious because curse. The curse is the result of sin. There shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face. They shall see his face. In heaven they behold his face. The redeemed that are there are looking upon the Lord literally in perfection. And that was something that the psalmist anticipated when he said in Psalm 17 and verse 15, as for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. And many of our hymns express this great hope that the believer has. I shall know him. I shall know him. When redeemed by his side, I shall stand. Or that other great hymn, And I shall see him face to face, And tell the story saved by grace. And then there's face to face, Shall I behold him. And then there's, What a day that will be, When my Jesus, I shall see, When I look upon his face, The one who saved me by his grace. Lord Jesus, give us grace on earth to love thee more, in heaven to see thy face and with thy saints adore. In the book of Isaiah, it says, thine eyes shall see the king in his beauty. John tells us in the New Testament, 1 John 3, verse 2, we shall see him as he is. Isn't that a great thought? I have never seen the Lord on this earth, literally. There are people who will tell you that they have, but I think they ate too much cheese before they went to bed. You don't see the Lord here on the earth. He doesn't reveal himself in that way, because Paul said it. We don't know him after the flesh anymore. But of course, not being able to see him literally here on the earth doesn't mean that there's not a sense in which we don't see him. Yes, when we get to heaven, we'll actually see the Lord's blessed face for the first time. And that's an unspeakable thing. But right here on the earth, we have the privilege of seeing Christ by faith. We will see him in his word. We walk by faith, not by sight. Not till we get to heaven are we going to see him clearly, literally. Because Peter puts it that way. Though now we see him not, yet believing, we rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. But in trusting the Lord here below, there is a saying of him by faith. And we know him. And we love him. One author said, sometimes we almost seem to see him. During a crisis or a period of trial, we may call to the Lord Jesus in our desperation and feel him come especially close in answer to our prayer. Or when we're moved in worship, when the Spirit of God is working powerfully in our hearts, we can be so lifted up into heavenly places and the veil which hides him from us becomes for a moment almost transparent. Samuel Rutherford, the Covenanter, he said about his own experience, when Christ comes, he stays not long, but certainly the blowing of his breath upon a poor soul is heaven upon earth. McShane, Great man of God in Scotland said, when believing souls seek for peace and joy in believing. They do very generally confine their view to Christ upon the earth. They remember him as the good shepherd seeking the lost sheep. They look to him sitting by the well of Samaria. They remember him saying to the sick of the palsy, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. But they too seldom think of looking where Stephen looked to where Jesus is now at the right hand of God. And this, of course, is heaven upon the earth. To look by faith and see Christ as our mediator and our intercessor, as our only righteousness before a holy God. I love that hymn, Before the throne of God above. I have a strong, a perfect plea. One of the verses says, When Satan tempts me to despair, And tells me of the guilt within upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin behold him there the risen lamb my perfect spotless righteousness the great unchangeable I am the king of glory and of grace see the people of God here on earth they also see him something else in that verse we just read they serve him his servants shall serve him. If you're looking forward to getting to heaven so you have a rest, that's only partially true. When the Bible says they rest from their labors, it means their earthly labors, but they don't rest, they serve him. That's what we'll be doing in heaven all the time for all eternity, serving the Lord. What that looks like, I don't know. What it means exactly, I don't know, but we are going to be serving him just like the angels do. It's perfect service. It's service that's not mixed with sin. It's perpetual service because they serve him day and night in his temple. So as Christians living here on the earth, we can get practiced up for heaven by serving Christ here. When I was a young teenager, I remember a fellow saying to me, you are saved to serve. You're not saved just so that you can go to heaven. You are saved to serve. If you were saved just to go to heaven, the Lord would have taken you to heaven the moment you were converted. But that's not the case. As long as you're here on the earth, you're here to serve. Just like they do in heaven. Imperfectly here, of course. But this is what we're going to be doing eternally. Serving him. So we've got to get practiced up for heaven by serving him here below. May the Lord help us to serve him. Something else that they do in heaven, they sing about him. It's always good to sing about Christ, isn't it? How sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. And without being offensive to people, I would have to say of our brethren who think that you should only sing psalms, I'm sorry, but I want to sing about the name of Jesus. I want to sing the name that he was given in his incarnation can't do that if you're restricted to the Psalms of David. My, my, my worship is New Testament worship. It's not worship that is anticipatory only. I'm living on this side of the cross, not looking forward to the cross. I'm looking back on the cross. And my worship should reflect that. And while there are a lot of hymns so-called that are tripe, to use a good Ulster word, there are a lot of good hymns. Some of them bring great blessing to my heart. Sometimes I like nothing better than to just find a a nice congregational song or bunch of songs on YouTube and just sit and listen to these wonderful hymns. What a blessing they are to your heart. I can't imagine for a second restricting my worship of God in song to psalms While I can pray using my own words. Can you think of something more stupid than that? I can pray in my opening prayer in church. Thank you Lord for those great words. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Amen. Sorry, you can't sing that because that's unacceptable worship. Does that make sense to you? It doesn't make sense to me. sorry it doesn't. Those are words of human composition but they're great words aren't they? They're wonderful words. Look at the hymns of Fanny Crosby. Some of the great hymns of Isaac Watts and Top Lady and others. What a joy to sing these things. To be able to sing of him. They sing in heaven about the blood of the Lamb. and I like hymns about the blood. I've told this before in our church it'll bear repetition there's an old man in one of our churches in ulster and if any minister or any young student minister would come along and preach in the church and he, he didn't pick hymns that mentioned the blood he used to tell them about it at the door on the way out in a very nice way he'd say i love hymns about the blood point taken Point taken, there were no hymns about the blood that night, but he made sure that that preacher knew, I like hymns about the blood. Next time he comes, he's going to be singing, Would you be free from your burden of sin? There's wonderful power in the blood. Blessed be the fountain of blood to a world of sinners revealed. Oh, we we sing of Christ, because they do that in heaven, don't they? Revelation 5, verse 9, it's a new song. It's a song about the Lamb. Revelation 15, they sing the song of Moses and of the Lamb. They're singing about his blood. They're singing about the redemption that there is in Christ. And that's a great thing to do. You don't have to do all your singing in church either. One preacher said when he had his devotions, he liked to have his Bible and his hymn book. How good it is to sing of him. And then Revelation 19, speaking of the marriage supper of the Lamb, reveals to us that believers in heaven, they actually sup with him. They have supper with the Lord. You have supper with people that you invite over, don't you? People that you have for supper, or they have you over for supper. It's because you're good friends, because you're very close to them, or they are showing affection to you and you to them. Well, we're going to sup with the Lord. That's what they're doing in heaven. Revelation 3.20. Wonderful promise, isn't it? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Sitting at the table with him, enjoying his fellowship. But we do that here on earth, don't we? We have the Lord's table. We have the Lord's supper. And we literally sit and we sup with him. What a joy it is when the Lord Jesus deigns to meet us at the feast. Robert McShane said that some of the sweetest times in his ministry were those times around the table of the Lord. Which is why when he went to to St. Peter's Church, he increased the number of times that the congregation celebrated the supper. Because he knew how important it was to sup with him. Then, of course, there's Something we've mentioned already, but we want to finish with this. In heaven there's a blessedness in that they are seated with him or seated beside him. Look at this in Revelation 3 verse 21. What a promise this is. This is the Lord himself, the Lord Jesus, saying this. Revelation 3 21. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. Even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. You know who sits on the throne? The king. That's who sits on the throne. Kings and queens. And that's who we are in Christ. He is the great king. And he allows us to sit with him in his throne. Because we're also kings. And we're priests. And those that are in glory already, that's what they're doing. They're sitting with him. And we look forward to being enthroned in heaven, sharing in his kingly glory. And yet, as I've already pointed out in the earlier part of the message, this is already the Christian's portion. It's Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6. Let's look at it again. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We're seated with him. Do you know that that's your position? You're as good as in heaven already. You can enjoy the anticipation of it. You can experience some of the blessedness of heaven already because you're as good as there. As Robert McShane rightly said, you are as sure to wear a crown of glory as that which Christ is now wearing. You are as sure to sit upon Christ's throne as that Christ is now sitting on his Father's throne. All the joy of being seated with Christ in heavenly places. This is the blessedness of heaven. Yes, we have to wait till we get to heaven to experience it in its fullness. As that hymn says, what must it be to be there? We speak of the land of the blessed, that country so bright and so fair, and oft are its glories confessed. But what must it be to be there? It's almost beyond our comprehension, isn't it? What must it be for the saints of God? What are they now experiencing? It would just be lovely to pull back the veil. And to see them there. When I was back home, I still call it home. I've lived here almost 25 years, but that's still home. Believe me. I went to a cemetery last weekend. It was the 11th anniversary of my mother's passing. So me and my siblings, all four of us, my three sisters, myself, some of the husbands, we went there. I put some fresh flowers and plants and all around my parents' grave. Yep, yeah, I shed a tear. But I was walking around that cemetery and I saw name after name after name after name of people that I knew growing up in our home church who are now with the Lord. Far too many for me to mention. I was astounded at how many there are now in glory. I stood there and I saw... Paisley, my minister, his grave. I walk up the other path, 10 yards from his grave. Alan Cairns, walk a bit further, saw elders that used to be serving in our church, people who were friends of our family, name after name after name of people who are familiar to me, some of whom just went to be with the Lord very recently. And I was thinking to myself, What a commotion there's going to be here on Resurrection Day. If I wanted to be anywhere in the world, it would probably be there when it happens. Just to see those spirits rising, those bodies, those glorified bodies rising to meet those glorified spirits to be forever with the Lord. It's a wonderful hope, you know. There's hope for the Christian. The righteous hath hope in his death the Bible says. And it's a great thing, even though we shed tears because we miss our loved ones. It's not forever. It's only for a wee while. It's only for a wee while. And then we'll all be together around the feet of Jesus. Will you be there? Are you going to gather at the river with the saints of God? Or are you going to be banished from God's presence forever? What an awful thought that is. Or oh, may we all, all of us, one day experience the blessedness of heaven. Amen.